0: Welcome to Confronting Christian Nationalism, a podcast that explores the rise of Christian nationalism in America and what churches and individuals can do to confront it. I'm your host, Daniel Dietrich. Do you support the United States becoming a Christian nationalist country?
1: Yeah, I do. In November, we're going to take our state back. My God will make it so. The church is supposed to direct the government and i'm tired of this separation of church and state junkies. obey the laws of the government because god is a the government thank you for allowing the united states of america to be reformed thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists the globalists and the traitors within our government we love you and we thank you in christ's holy name we pray Amen.
0: in episode four we talked about empathy and engagement as ways to respond to the threat of christian nationalism in this final episode, we want to expand on that and offer five ways churches and individuals can confront Christian nationalism. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but we hope it's a place to start. This conversation comes from the Common Good podcast and live stream, which happens every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You can listen to that wherever you're getting this podcast, or you can watch it over at our YouTube channel. So this is myself and Doug Paget discussing five ways we can confront Christian nationalism and help de-radicalize our friends, our neighbors, and loved ones. Let's dive right in. A big question we always end up talking to people about uh, when we're on tour is, okay, great, how do I help someone out of that mindset? How do I help my grandparents, my family member, my friends? Because this is dividing households, it's dividing communities, How do we help people escape this?
1: Yeah. All right, so I've got five, five pieces of advice here. The first is, if you're gonna be someone who's gonna engage in this, in a church, as a church leader, as a church community, or an individual that's in conversations, expand your own understanding of what Christian nationalism is and why people hold to it. It's really helpful. Almost, I would say, crucial that we understand why and how a belief functions for other people who believe differently than we do. Not just what they believe, not just what is Christian nationalism, and I don't understand why you think that, but what function does that belief have? And to understand it deeply. So expand your own understanding of the history of America. You will end up in a conversation where someone will say, you know, America was started as a Christian nation. And then you'll say, no, it wasn't. And they'll say, oh, yes, it was. And then here you go, right? And <laughs> Understanding the history of America is really helpful. There were parts of a, the United States, what we now call the United States of America, that when they were started as colonies, they were started as religious exile communities. Right? Just before the union was formed before there was a revolution from england and there was a constitution of a set of united states of america some of these colonies were started in a narrative that said, we want a safe place for Christians. Some Christian traditions were persecuted in the 1500s, 1600s and 1700s around the world. And so they came to America seeking religious freedom from England and from other European forces. So they came to the United States to start standalone communities where only certain Christian people could be full members of that colony. Right. Okay, so when some people say things like, well, America started as a Christian nation, what they're getting back to is a pilgrim narrative. Like, no, when the pilgrims came, like they are Quakers and other people, and they all like, everybody had to like be in on the deal. Right, there's, there's whole parts of Pennsylvania that have this kind of vibe to them, you know? We're like, hey, this town or this community used to 300 years ago, only Christian people could live here. Mm-hmm. So some parts of the United States were framed as religious colonies but when the united states made the decision to become a nation not a set of colonies but a nation it had to confront the question of christian nationalism and it rejected it so it said the united states as a country this is sort of amendment number one first amendment will establish no religion have no religious expectations on people. Mm -hmm. Maybe we used to in some places and didn't used to in other places in the United States, but we're not going to going forward. You know, Pennsylvania then was later started as a place of religious freedom and then had to say, okay, we're not going to do that religious stuff. We're not going to have the government, the federal government or the state government be putting religious demands on its citizenry. So the question, did this start as a Christian nation depends on what point you're starting from. So to expand your understanding, and I think the best explanation I've heard is there were movements to make the United States totally Christian. Mm-hmm. And then that was turned back, rejected when the country was formed as a nation. So try to expand our understanding on all of these factors and what not only sort of what do people mean and how are they getting at it and how does it function in their life, but just literally what is the history of the United States and where did it come from? Another one that's helpful on this is just to know that some phrase like in God, we trust or the pledge of allegiance. These were things that were introduced into the United States lexicon in the 1950s in response to communism. And the whole argument about should there, is communism going to be the future of world civilization or is not communism? In other words, the United States and other places where people hold to a faith. But that argument against communism in the 1950s in the United States, the solution to communism was not Christian nationalism. The solution to communism was freedom of religion in the United States, where government has no opinion whatsoever about any of these matters. Not, it's going to pick one religion or no religion. I think what's really important if you're going to engage this as a church or an individual is to be in the practice of expanding your own understanding, deepening your own your own sense of what's mm-hmm. up. Ready for number two? So ready. <laughs> I, was ready <laughs> I was ready six minutes ago. Uh, distinguish between two groups. Group one, distinguish between those who intentionally believe things about Christian nationalism, whether they're for it or against it. Those who like have a well-thought-out, considered approach that they're projecting. I'm in that camp as a full anti-Christian nationalist. Dan, you're in that camp as an anti-Christian nationalist. Uh, Jeff Sessions, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Donald Trump, these people are intentionally believing we should be a Christian nation, right? Well, we are one group. What makes us one group is, we intentionally believe these things. We thought them through, we have a point we're making, we're countering that point with other people's points, and we have, and that, that's where we stand. That's one group. The second group are those who just happenstantially believe things. It just They're not sure why they believe it, but they do believe it, they believe it very deeply, but not on purpose. These could be people who are accidental Christian nationalists, like, well, I don't know, I thought the country was a Christian nation and we should like make sure that we hold to our roots. Or somebody who said, come on, man, this wasn't a Christian nation. I mean, I, I don't know all that stuff about like how it all came together or how the first amendment plays into it or what the constitutional Congress was about, but nah, we're not a Christian nation. Like like that's, they, they don't have a rationale and a reason for it. Here's why I think that's important because if you attribute intentionality to people whose beliefs are happenstantial, they have no idea why you're arguing with them the way you are. They're just <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know what's going on. And if you think that people are just happenstantially believing this, but they actually have deep intention and it's rooted into the whole belief system, in which this is a crucial part of other important things in their life, your happenstantial response to them won't work. So to distinguish in a church community, especially, hey, some of you, let's talk about Christian nationalism in and around here in a way for those of you who really think a lot about it. If you're really opposed to it, let's help you be more informed about it. And if you're really supportive of it, let's help you understand another perspective on it. But if you're happenstantial, you're gonna treat that in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And this, this is true, look, this is just a truism across the board on any conversation you're talking about. A lot of us have beliefs that we don't know why we have them, where they came from or what function they play in our lives, but they're there. We're just not very attentive to them. That's a really different way of thinking and the information you're going to take in and a change of heart or change of mind comes differently with those beliefs than the ones that you've constructed very intentionally. So expand your own understanding and then recognize that there's different kinds of people and put together opportunities and options and conversation points for people who are intentionally believing and are happenstantially believing. Mm -hmm. Number three, be gentle and clear. Apply just the right amount of force on these things right gentleness really matters when you're talking about these these issues because christian nationalism shockingly f- to a lot of people when they're if they support it when they hear someone opposing it it goes to some deep core belief that's attached to a whole lot of other things that they didn't know it was even attached to all of a sudden they're defending things and they're like i don't even know why i'm defending this but somehow it doesn't <laughs> sound right what you're saying right so gentleness doesn't mean not strong. It doesn't mean, it, it just means approach it with care, right? And then be really clear about what you're asking. Be really clear about what the call is for someone. Because what people hear regularly, if you're in the Christian nationalist ecosystem somehow in your life or world, or you, it's, it's intentional or, or happenstantial. And you hear someone say, we got to get rid of all this. What they hear, what they think you're saying is, we should get rid of God. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it just feeds that persecution complex as well. Like, oh, see, totally. they, they hate Christians.
1: Yep. And, and, and it's not at all what you mean, but if someone um, has yet to sort of see the landscape, it doesn't land in the same way. So be gentle and clear, and apply the right amount of force. What I've watched a lot of pastors do is be overly gentle and not clear, and I've watched a lot of activists, crowd we're in, apply a lot of clarity and not a lot of gentleness. We uh, we bought a a piece of furniture for our our family room, and like college students we went to ikea which meant that we bought this thing in a series of boxes big flat heavy boxes that then i laid out on the ground and for three hours put together this this piece and they have these you know in ikea they they do these little uh diagrams like there's there's not words it's just it's just artwork yeah uh, that shows you how to do it and they have some symbol on there for like when you're screw when you're tightening with their little allen wrench or with your screwdriver you're going to tighten that that bolt in there or whatever. And they'll put this thing on there about like, be gentle, right? Uh, like use the right amount of force. I think there may have even been some words on there that said like, don't over tighten. That right amount of force is really important, especially in church communities. Like it, it doesn't do anybody any good to be ultra clear on this issue and then have people say, that's a church I don't wanna be part of anymore. You can be super clear and very inclusive of people who still hold those beliefs. It's my belief. It's it's my conviction. The only way people's beliefs change is inside of a community that reorients belief. So if you're not in a community doing it, you have a much less chance of uh, of making a shift. So the right amount of force is really important, and so is clarity. And these two things really really work together. And the more you understand your own. Uh, the the deeper understanding you have of Christian nationalism, which is why we have trainings and we have podcasts and we have downloadable curriculum and we have interviews and we have all these resources to help you do that, it really helps. All right, number four, break the no-talk rules about religion and politics in in your church. So many churches just won't talk about it. I'm not talking about partisanship. I'm not talking about saying you should vote for this person or that person by politics i mean our collective way of life that is supported and drawn out by the use and the participation of the federal and state and local governments that's politics politics isn't just how we choose to live our lives together i mean i know definitionally that's what it is but by politics i mean not only how we live together but what role does the government play in that you know, the government's the largest employer in America. Like more people work for the government than work for any other employer. There's a lot of governments around us to act like it doesn't exist and to act like it's not a real thing or to say, those are things we don't talk about here. We don't talk about Bruno here. Those are, that's not helpful. So we have to break the no talk rules. And to do so, pick the place and time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think for most pastors, the best way to talk about Christian nationalism is in the seven to 35 minutes your community allots you for a sermon. Maybe once a year, fair enough. But a passing comment or a, a whole sermon just on Christian nationalism probably is not the best place to do it. I'm not saying you should hide it, go ahead and do it. I'm just suggesting it's not all that effective. Partially because most of our sermons are designed as one-way, di- one-way monologue communication. Something like what I'm doing here, right? Just got five points in the screen in front of me, and I'm just talking it straight. And whatever you're thinking, maybe you can pop it in the chat. Maybe I'll look at it. Maybe I won't. But this is a one-way deal, you know, and then I pause for a minute and get a little input and then go again. That form of communication It's not always the best way to help people actually learn and grow on things. Parenthetically, if you're interested in that, I've written a whole book called Preaching in the Inventive Age, which talks about the (laughs) dialogical form of preaching where we can move away from the monologue and the speeching style of communication for our churches. But I promise you, all the churches are not doing that. Um, So churches or sermons are not always the best place. Find the additional places where you can talk about it small groups, book studies, uh, set aside conversations, 25 minutes after something, 20 minutes before something, set aside a time where the people who care about this can talk about this. Because this is the other thing, talking to these about these things to people who don't care about them, it also doesn't help. So finding a way for people to engage in the conversations in ways that are Helpful and meaningful for them is the best thing that you can do.
0: Yeah, I'll add a caveat to that. I think while the sermon might not be the best place to change someone's mind about Christian nationalism, silence from the stage or silence from the pulpit is often uh, people fill in their own gaps with that. Yeah, you know. uh, it can be it can be enabling to the Christian nationalist voices in the community that are having these conversations in Bible studies and before the church gathering or whatever. And then when there's silence from the stage, silence from the pulpit, people make the assumption that, oh, okay, this is, this is what we believe around here.
1: Extremely so a, well said.
0: A clear statement from, from a pastor uh, from the stage is also helpful.
1: Yeah. Incorporate it somehow into the other statements you have. Let, what, what, I've had the privilege of being in a lot of churches, I've pastored churches for a long time, and I speak at churches and we travel around, and I've been in a lot of them. The announcement moments tell you as much about what the church cares about as the sermon, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> so- That's very true. Uh, a, 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 an announcement person or a, or a church leader or pastor, or somebody who's facilitating that has some cachet in the church uh, service, Saying something like, "Hey, uh, you know, next Thursday there's this conversation that we have about Christian nationalism, and I found it super helpful, and it's, it really seems like it's important, is is meaningful to this church. So if that's something you're interested in, you can find out more information. That kind of statement says a whole lot, mm-hmm. as much as whatever finely crafted statements that somebody puts in their either mental or written text uh, that's going to go into their sermon. So. Now I'm gonna do a little bit of my church consulting side. If if you wanna tell people what your church is up to and what you care about, uh, spend more time thinking about your announcements because that's really where socialization happens as much as it happens in the sermon,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Because strangely, and I'll preach you on this one, strangely the sermon tends to feel like what the pastor thinks about things and the announcements tend to tell you what the church thinks about things. So I would encourage people to think more deeply about what they do in their announcements. <laughs> uh, there could be a whole a whole thing about this, uh, or 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 not or not just maybe the announcement time, but where the pastor could allude to something you know uh, in the sermon that's announcement like, yeah, you know, or just say like, hey, I was listening to something, or I did this curriculum. Like, there's just a way to mention it without turning it into the into the the sermon space. Partly because it gets back to this happenstantial and intentional believing people. Um, it really lands differently. If you're a happenstantial believer in, in or against Christian nationalism, you're not all that tuned in to the things people are talking about. <laughs> like, you don't know, like, right? It's, that's, that's part of the nature of a hap- any of our happenstantial beliefs that we just happen to believe this stuff. And you're like, oh, is that what you're talking about? Okay, yeah, no, no, I got you. Yeah, I'm, I'm back with you. Where if you're tuned in, because it's one of your intentional beliefs that you've crafted up. You just know the code words, you know how to listen for it, you can hear it and you're, and you're pinging on it. And that's partly why moving it from uh, the, the sort of drive by, or d- even direct clarity statement in a sermon is much more helpful if you can find additional ways to break these no talk rules. And I'll just say one more point on this one before I get to the last fifth point. And that is let other people talk about these things as well. One of the best ways to move people from intentional belief or happenstantial belief, either one of those, to a different belief, is to ask them to talk even longer about what they believe. Mm -hmm. I know it's counterintuitive to some people. They think if you let people go on and on, they're just going to harden into their beliefs. But any of us who have a belief that doesn't really hold water <laughs>
0: the longer you, you have to expand on it the more you, oh uh.
1: the best thing you can say to someone is say more about that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't have more to say about that i think america is a christian nation and christians are being persecuted here or be like really? the annoying okay. first grader and just why why,
0: why? <laughs> well because we're a christian
1: nation why why? Yeah. why why just because just because you know any of us that have that have been driven to our knees by our by our children we're like well there is not a reason it's just how we do it fair enough that's that's i mean that frankly that's most things you know we we back in a reason we didn't start with a reason yeah all right number five and this is the big one i won't doesn't mean i'll spend all the time on it but this is important and that's normalize the conversation about Christian nationalism as an act of discipleship or faith formation or whatever phrase you use. Make it a part of discipling people or finding, helping people find their way in, into their faith. I think it's important to make it clear that being American is not synonymous with being Christian. Like there's a lot of ways to get there. There was Christianity before there was America and there's Christianity in places that aren't America and it doesn't have anything to do with it. Christianity is not nationalism and no nation can actually be Christian. That's not how the word functions. That's not the meaning of Christian. So there's a lot of things you can do about where our allegiances lie and what it means to be a, a, a follower of a particular way. If you're Christian as I am, you want people to follow in the way of Jesus. And that way of Jesus means that it's about the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of Jesus's day and not the kingdom of Caesar or the kingdom of David and Solomon, right? The, 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 The Christian narrative is actually our most helpful place to go to defeat Christian nationalism. It's Jesus's teaching that all people, Gentiles who are under Caesar and Jews who are under David and Solomon's, you know, authority through the temple structure, both of those communities are called into the kingdom of God. Where you're joined together, where everyone participates. And the kingdom of God then is the alternative to nationalism or ethnicism or racism. That That's how, that, that's, Why Jesus says, I come to declare the kingdom of God. You know, the word good news, it means the proclamation of the deliverer, right? The the announcement. It's a borrowed phrase, the phrase, the, the good news, from what the Romans would do when they would come into town, call the community, the citizens together, and announce the good news from Caesar. Right, so Jesus is like, oh yeah, you got your you got your good news from Caesar. I want to tell you about the good news from God. And then some religious people would say things like, well, it's only our people that should be included here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 God's got God's got children all over. Mm-hmm. Whether you're children of Abraham or children of the other, everyone's involved. This is the this is the narrative of Christianity that Christianity does not present itself well as nationalism. Frankly, Christianity doesn't present it well as a, itself well as a religion. The, the The teachings of Jesus, the way of Christianity, the things you see in the New Testament, all that kind of stuff doesn't function well as a religion. You have to do a <laughs> lot of retrofitting to make that thing go as a religion, right? It's like you're, you're gonna travel to Europe and you only have the kind of plug that has three prongs on you. Like, I know I'm gonna get over there and they're gonna have those you know sideways plugs and I have to get an adapter to put on to connect this plug to that outlet. And theology is basically the creation of the adapters. Right. So, and and look, we've all got piles of adapters sitting around just, you know, in our lives, just one little cord and cable that's supposed to connect another thing. And I don't even have that thing anymore. And we just, you know, we got a collection of cables around our lives. Theology is like that. We have all of these little connectors that are supposed to make sense of this story, then over to this story and over to this story and they often don't fit very well together. You get a lot of buzz in the system when you use an adapter. I'll, I could push this metaphor till the end of time. <laughs> Christianity doesn't work well as a religion, but it really doesn't work well as a national identity. Yeah. It's designed to be the opposite of a national identity. Mm-hmm. And to make that call, and that's the kind of thing you can put in your sermon. That's the kind of thing, that's the kind of groundwork you can lay. But look, Dan, I have talked to so many of my Christian nationalist friends who would be giving me a gigantic amen on all of that. And they would say, but America's a Christian nation and it has an exceptional place in the role and the work that God wants to do in the world is going to come through the yeah. United States. Like they're holding <laughs> both of these things, right? So normalize as an act of discipleship, but also know that that teaching on the kingdom of God is not sufficient. You're not going to get there by not naming this. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of the discipleship act and what the kingdom of God is about, we also have to have some clarity and show where its rub is specifically in the calls to the United States being a a Christian nation or not. Yeah. So those are the five uh, uh, pieces of advice that I have for churches and church leaders on this stuff.
0: I'd love to dig down into some specifics with that last one, because one of my biggest frustrations and confusions is you read the words of Jesus, and it's this wide, inclusive, welcoming movement. And Jesus is always you know, bringing in the people on the outside that mm-hmm. have been left out. And the Christian nationalist movement in America is never about like, well, we're a Christian nation, so no one should go hungry. We're a Christian nation, so <laughs> we right. should welcome the foreigner, just like it says in our sacred text. How do you help someone to see their own scripture not in this isolationist
1: way? I think that is so spot on and so hard to do, actually, because it's easy to then find yourself just conceding to the Christian call of this nation and say, okay, then if we're a Christian nation, we should... Fill in the blank. You know, <laughs> we should have a year of jubilee and we should <laughs> share all things in common. And Jesus was a socialist. And right, you could just go do all that. It look, it doesn't matter how the New Testament church organized itself in relationship to how the United States federal government should arrange itself. They're they're not. It, it, well, I don't want to give in to the Christian nationalism impulse. Yeah. By saying, well, then therefore, what we need to instead do is say, if you're motivated by this inclusive narrative of everyone having enough and no one needing to be afraid, this sort of, if you were to take the kingdom of God narrative about what would the world look like, you could take the Lord's Prayer, you could take the Sermon on the Mount, you take, and it tends to feel like that. You have enough love, you have enough resources, you have enough time, you have enough space. And you don't have to be afraid of yourself. You don't have to be afraid of God for sure. You don't have to be afraid of your enemy. You don't have to be afraid of, of nature. Like you can live in a way that's not afraid and that has sufficiency. So if that's what your call is and that's what you're calling people to and that's the human flourishing that you know can be possible, you don't want to give in to, so let's then, you know, force people to say that, you know, the, our tax policy should be more like Matthew 5. Um, and I, look, I know some people that I've supported for for office, that running for office that uh, currently, that talk like that. And I'm, I, get really, I get really, I'm like, ah, don't, don't start down that road. That is not the place. <laughs> That's not where we should be going. So how do you do this then? How do you say, what's the role of the individual who cares about this whole narrative I was just going on about, and then that citizen or that lawmaker's relationship to the federal government? That's really important because not everybody holds to this. And if you only have the rationale for how the federal government should be, or the state government or county government should be in relationship. If it only comes from your scripture and your text and that narrative, then you're into Christian nationalism. Mm -hmm. So you have to have other supports, other rationale, other reasons. So, that you can say, look, here's what motivates me personally. But as a city, as a country, as a state, we're also committed to these other things. And this thing I'm proposing for laws or how we're going to behave, it fulfills that other rationale as well. Mm -hmm. That's the secular part of the United States that you have to have that.
0: I think of it as like a Venn diagram and where there's overlap between your Christian views. Mm And your humanist atheist friends' views, and your nice. Jewish friends' views, in that spot in the middle, maybe that's where federal law can be put into place. Like, yeah, we all agree we should not murder each other. Let's start there. You know,
1: yeah. Remember in sixth grade or seventh grade, after you left the awkward uh, health class, and then you had to go into your social <laughs> studies class, and you had to write a paper, and the. Uh, teacher suggested that or demanded that you have more than one source for your argument. Yeah. That that notion and idea, that's <laughs> a really good one. Have more than one rationale for this, mm-hmm. right? Um, that our impulses need to come from other spaces as well. The founders of this country really worked hard on that. You can, and you can hear it. That's why you'll get sometimes where you know, to borrow a music metaphor, you'll hear the, the, the key of Christian, but then you'll also hear the notes of humanism because they're, they're moving together, right? They're, because they're just recognizing this is how people are. Like people care about things for their religious purposes. Some people care about them for non-religious purposes. And we're going to bring all those people together. What you don't want to do as someone rejecting Christian nationalism is tell a bunch of Christian people that your Christianity is ridiculous, you need to leave it at the door, and no one cares what your faith teaches you. Mm. First of all, that's not nice. Second of all, (laughs) it doesn't work. And third, it doesn't describe the reality of the world at all. Right. More people care about the things that were taught to them by those that they love and care about than they care about any policy about anything. It's just, it's just totally not true. So this gets really hard, but I get the point you were making earlier, Dan, where you wanna push on the Christian nationalists to say, well, then if you think we should be acting as a Christian nation, why aren't you acting very Christian? Well, then that gets to a lot of people's view of how Christians should be is really quite distorted, and especially in Christian nationalism because it's more political theory than it is Christian. But there's a lot of people who see cruelty, abuse, Empower as the thing of Christianity.
0: Mm. Truly,
1: that's that's the thing. I mean, for a lot of them, it goes back to: look, God's going to smite people at the end of life anyway. God's right. going to kill the sinner, so God's not going to care if we get a jump on that. <laughs> yeah, you know this this kind of thing that that you say it that bluntly, and people are like, "Oh, come on, nobody talks like that." Oh, no, no, no. People people really do think that kind of stuff. You know, kill mm. them all, and let God sort it out. That kind of flippant yeah comment that people make in war and other things these are the these are the narratives that tend to run through our christianity and then it gets applied here so when you run into the christian nationalists who are about violence and are about us and not them and crusades and winning at some point you have to say look the the christian narrative has always had this right you have jesus saying to his to to peter of all people like right? to give you a little bible lesson here Peter, the closest disciple, the one who he calls the rock, the one who's the Pope, the one who's the leader of the church, all this stuff. What does Peter do? The night that Jesus is going to be arrested, takes out a sword and swings it at a person and cuts off the man's ear, maims the side of his face. That's the in the text. Why does the gospel, why do the gospels include that in the text? Because they want to say this kind of thing, this goes on. And Jesus says, Put it away. That's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's there in as a story in order to be condemned as an action. It's not there as a story to be a playbook, right? And yet people like who support guns and everything are like, no, Jesus, is all like yeah, get the sword, and Peter had a sword, and like those are cautionary tales. <laughs> right? Those are not <laughs> how tos. So uh, the, the, right, this narrative. I, as somebody who uses the Christian narrative to help understand my Christianity, the correctives are there. The New Testament is full of this stuff. The apostle Paul is actually the most anti-Christian nationalist person you could find. He is arguing profusely against notions that we would now call Christian nationalism. And yet most Christian nationalists think the apostle Paul and Jesus and Peter are on their side. So yeah, should Romans we get 13, into that and, yeah. and do Bibles? Yeah, Romans 13 and do Bible stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you know that old saying, which I think is true, it's a truism at least. Uh, I'm guessing you can't argue someone out of a belief that they weren't argued into in the first place. So find mm-hmm. out the motivation of how they got their belief. I think that's generally true. We don't want to argue with it or not. But a lot of people who if so to take that point as true, if you use the Bible as your rationale. Or if you know someone who uses the Bible as their rationale, then use the Bible to unrationale that. (laughs) It's the most helpful way to do it is to say, but that's not either what it says or the only thing it says or what it intends to say and to get into it. And I am shocked at how many Christian leaders don't want to use the Bible as the condemnation of Christian nationalism. Yeah, I get it. I see why, because they're like, look, we think that the Bible might be one of the tactics used by Christian nationalists, so we wanna use other tactics. It's um, a misuse of the Bible by Christian nationalists is not a rationale for Mm -hmm. anti-Christian nationalists to not use the truth about what's in the text and what's in the Bible and for people for whom that's important. And look, if the Bible's not important to you and you run into somebody for whom the Bible is important, you're coming from very different vantage points.
0: In our last few minutes, though, I'd love to talk about when someone changes their mind about Christian nationalism. Say they've been in a church where that's just the water they swim in. They change their mind about it. It's very easy for someone to find themselves on the outside of community. You start to change your mind about that. You start to change your mind about the exclusion of the LGBTQ community you start speaking up about racism, suddenly you find yourself on the outside of some of these Mm -hmm. communities. And I'd love to talk about how the, quote-unquote, progressive church can be a more welcoming place for people who are leaving uh, more harmful communities. Because oftentimes, a person will be going through deconstruction or whatever, and they'll say, yeah, but these liberals hate me. I'm not going to go to their totally. club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. so we've we've demanded that people change. Your views are horrible, they're harmful, you should change. But we don't want to be friends with them. We don't want to like Yeah. And you you raise an interesting question um like how long from the point of change is enough before you'll welcome someone into is it is it a week? Is it a year? Is it one day? Is it negative
1: a yeah, week. yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the things we raised in the in the uh, on the training was to say to people, look, if you're serious about being inclusive churches, will you allow people who hold to Christian nationalism to be part of your community, or are you purifying your community where only certain people can be involved? This tends to push on those of us who are progressive, right? Because there's there's a kind of progressive that means you hold the the progressive beliefs we hold. Then there's a kind of progressive that's inclusive to the degree that says, you don't have to believe what we all believe here. We're not looking for uniformity. We're looking for for community. That's hard for a lot of people because somewhere there's a line, right? There's some things that you're yeah. just like, look, you're out. When I was a pastor at a church, we, um, we didn't have believing in God as a requirement. And that really bothered some people <laughs> who were there. They're like, I don't understand how I can go to a church where... I can't look around and say, well, at least we have that in common. I'm like, yeah, you have to, if you're gonna be here, you're in a church where there is not any single thing we all hold in common. What there is is a network of commonality. Mm -hmm. You hold some things in common with them and some other things in common with them and some things with them, and that's how life works. That's what we have. There There is no center to the belief, right? I've done a bunch of writing about all this stuff and anybody's ever interested in that. But these non-center set belief systems uh, is really important. So one of the questions we have to ask if we're in a progressive community is, oh, is this a community for people who think progressively? Fair enough. I mean, nothing wrong with that, right? There's there's whole communities for people that think conservatively. And like one of the rules of involvement is you think conservatively. And if you didn't start that way, we want you to end that way. Mm Right? That's different than we're gonna be a community that's going to involve the people who want to be part of this community here. So this is, this is, this is difficult. And one of the questions is how long can someone be out of conformity? Uh, how, long, how, how, long, how long ago did, did someone have to be out of conformity before they can be part of your community? So if they're a Christian nationalists, you know, like you said, is it is it a year? They had to go through a year of sobriety from Christian nationalism. Now they can be part of it. Is it a day? Uh, maybe yeah. next Thursday they're going to drop that, but not yet. Maybe two years. Maybe never. If they hold the Christian nationalism and just disagree with you on that from top to bottom and think we should go take over the government, can they be part of your of of your community or not? These are these are intense questions that you really do have to have to answer. And it's normally not the random single entity that comes in, right? You know what it is. Is the person's spouse what, you know, somebody really loves being there and she loves this church and her wife is like, yeah, I'm not really into all that stuff. I kind of think this way. Well, are they welcome? Can they come together? Can they both Mm -hmm. be members? Can they, can they be part of it? Or someone's child or someone's parent that they want to come with or someone's friend or name? Like there's some connection there. They're not just, you know, evil doers, wolves coming in sheep's clothing to devour your community. Not, it's not that at all just like people are like hey my wife is super into this uh, church stuff i actually think you know we should just you know let the christians run the place <laughs> like <laughs> does that guy get to be involved the, these are these are th- this is the question that really that this christian nationalism stuff raises in the discipleship area and that is what do you mean by being christian or something what well, one of the things i'm really afraid of that happens in this world a lot is it's easy to find yourself simply saying these people aren't christians Christian nationalists, they're about a political movement and therefore their whole thing is fraudulent Christianity. They're not Christian. My own belief is we should not tell anyone else who proclaims to be Christian that they're not. It's not, Christianity is not a a title that anyone else can take from you. They're not Oscar awards that you can revoke. (laughs) You can't take someone's Christianity from them if they claim it it's theirs to have. And it's not only is that not something you should say to them, you shouldn't say it to yourself. I think we're much better off saying there are a variety of Christians. There were the kind of Jesus followers around Jesus, you know, before the term Christian was ever applied to anyone, the kind of Jesus followers around Jesus. One of them was a denier, never knew the man, tried to cut a guy's head off hours earlier. Another one is a betrayer who turned him over to the authorities to be executed, and another one was a non-believer in the resurrection. Like, there were only 12 disciples, and one quarter of them were deniers, betrayers, and and non-believers. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Okay. And then you so, had zealots, you had, like, different factions of what, you know, role religion should play in the world, and
1: yeah, it's totally. all mixed up, yeah, I about the, the yeah. 2 the, the sons of Zebedee, you know, and they're like power grab and all the stuff they've got going on, those two brothers. So what is it we're doing? Uh, are we trying to put together now, like conservatism is built around, let's build this safe place where our persecuted narrative can hold forth. Is that what we're doing with Christian, with progressive communities? Is just creating places where that's just safe for only another group of people. Now I said that more dismissively than I should have. That, that, that can be, f- that's fine. Go, go ahead and make one of those. But just know that that's what you're doing, if that's what you're doing. If you're doing something else where you're engaging in this more um, uh, inclusive community, then fair enough. And, and that's where all these terms run aground. What do we mean by progressive? What do we mean by emerging? What do we mean by deconstructing? Mm-hmm. What do we mean by progressive? What do we mean by inclusive? I may have said progressive twice. What, what do we mean by any of this stuff? Is um, is is proof in the pudding, and um, you know I I've found in my own life I'm, it's not as interesting for me to be around the violent narrative Christian nationalist people. It's hard for me, um, so I don't like it, and I don't want to be around. I have Christian nationalist friends that are intentionally Christian nationalists, but they're not the violent type. Like they oppose the violence, but I also know some people who are kind of into that stuff. You know, they're mm-hmm. like. You know, they got they have basements full of survival stuff and they're taking training and they're going to gun uh, ranges and getting ready. I don't want to be around those people. But I also know you got to figure out why you just don't want to be around those people. Maybe that's the thing you should be working on. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. why am I, I feel like I'm using a pun here, Why am I triggered by all that? Well, there's there's reasons. Yeah.
0: And of course, I think, I think I like missed you your still point altogether. have... <laughs> You know, in a community, you still have boundaries and like you want it to be physically and emotionally safe for people that traditionally have been not safe in conservative spaces. So you don't sacrifice there. You don't compromise there. But up to that point, it's like, yeah, do they have to believe the same thing you do to be in your club? Do they have to be all the way there? Can they be, you know, open and it? people are going to self-select, right? Like if they're going to sit through weeks of sermons and announcements and music that point to a more inclusive and generous way of doing things, if they're not open to that, they're not going to keep sitting through it. They're going to opt out. So yeah.
1: yeah. And I also know a lot of people who believe in all that inclusiveness around the church But when it comes to the country, they're like, but it's still a Christian country and it should be referenced. (laughs) It drives you crazy, right? You're like, what? Because they basically believe that the church is an open community and the government, the country is more like a health club that belongs to the members. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people do that with their churches that it belongs to the members. You know, I've been in churches where they're like, hey, to be a member here, you have to be baptized seriously there's a thing you got to do first okay well oh, i mean yeah. fair enough it's a closed system
0: gotta sign a statement of belief and yeah yeah
1: yeah or communion you know before, before you take communion somewhere it's like you got to click on one of those uh agreement tabs at the uh <laughs> you know at the bottom to move do you off you accept the page cookies? Do, you- <laughs> uh, you accept, do you accept wafers uh do you click accept here you know? and okay. jesus
0: as your lord and savior
1: <laughs> <laughs> and wafers and juice or wafers and wine yeah it It's, but, But this is, look, and this is what it does. And this is what I hope. I hope that a conversation about Christian nationalism for Christian people at least, especially church related Christian people, leads them into conversations about what kind of church are we? What kind of community are we? What kind of belief are we? What kind of religion do we hold to? Like that's where it should take you. It should lead you into those spaces, not be a standalone topic that you deal with. And now we're going to move on to climate change. And now we're going to move on to, you know, uh, social laws. Now we're going to turn on to police violence. Now we're going to move on to, you know, a wage disparity. All things that really matter. But all of those conversations should also influence who and how we are. They're not independent topics. They're issues that matter to us that we need to find new ways to engage in and be a part of.
0: We hope you found those five ways to confront Christian nationalism helpful. And to recap, number one, expand your own understanding. Read some of the books we've mentioned in this podcast Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumais, The Power Worshippers by Katherine Stewart, Preparing for War by Bradley Onishi. We've included a list in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. Number two, Recognize that there are people who stumble into Christian nationalism and those who intentionally choose Christian nationalism. Your approach to talking to them will depend on what camp they're in. Number three, be gentle and clear. I would also add, have some humility when engaging in these conversations. There's a decent chance you have held harmful, illogical beliefs in your lifetime. Years from now, you'll probably cringe at some of the things you say or believe today. We grow when people care enough to educate us, not scold us. Let's try to do the same for others. Number four, break the no talk rules in your church. Maybe the sermon isn't the best place to do this, but it's one of the tools in the toolbox. Sometimes the announcements are a better place to show the values of a community. Silence reinforces the status quo, so break those no talk rules. And number five, normalize the conversation about Christian nationalism as an act of discipleship. Educate and lead and continue a conversation about how we as christians operate in a secular society and with all of these tools and tactics let's resist the urge to otherize those who hold christian nationalist beliefs these are our neighbors our relatives our co-workers we have to find a way to live and work alongside each other christian nationalism is a cancer in our churches and a very real threat to democracy but we can't lose sight of the humanity of our neighbors thank you so much for listening to confronting christian nationalism We hope this series has been helpful and hopeful. This is a troubling issue, but you're not in it alone. There's a growing community of people that we call Vote Common Good that care about things like this and immigration reform and common sense gun reform. Get connected with us on any of the social media platforms or over at votecommongood.com. This series was produced by me, Daniel Dietrich, at Common Good Media, and our theme music was composed by Pendulum Theory may we confront the cancer of Christian nationalism with empathy and clarity, whether it's found in the church pews or the halls of Congress. I'm Daniel Dietrich. Thanks for listening and take care.